welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. Okay, so let's, Dave's just going to come and speak to us. Let's just pray for, um, for Dave before he does. Lord, we just thank you for Dave, Lord, and just pray that, um, that you would just give him the words that you want him to say this morning, Lord. And just pray that as we listen, our ears and our eyes and our hearts will be open to what it is that you want to say to us through Dave. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Excellent, Nathan. That's great. <clears throat> Uh, how many of you have seen Jungle Book? It's a multi-generational, we've all seen that. How many of you can remember the scene where Shia Khan uh, has, that, who has that fantastic English plummy accent uh, is, is there and, and uh, he's in the jungle and the snake uh, comes down and uh, Shia Khan says to him, oh, you know, I thought I heard you doing something. And the snake says, no, no, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and, uh, and then Shia Khan says, I'm sure you are. And anyway, he then sort of, the snake comes down and Shia Khan puts his, hat, his paw over the neck of the serpent and then the, 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 the serpent starts to trust in me, trust in me. And his eyes all go goggly and googly and he tried to hypnotize him. And Shere Khan just goes, I've had enough of this. I don't have time for you. And he puts his hand over his head and silences him. And I, that, when John Batsford and, and Neil were talking uh, recently about uh, remembering our promises and resisting the devil. And Leslie brought a wonderful word last week about stand and then stand and then stand again and then stand. This is what we are to do with the enemy, with Satan, who is described in the Bible as a snake, as a serpent. And it says very clearly that we as believers are to put the snake, the devil, under our foot not because of anything we have done, not because of our righteousness, but because of the power and the authority of Christ and his blood. And that is what we are to do. We are just to silence him. I don't give Satan too much uh, airtime, but we do have to recognize that he is there. But I treat him like sheer calm. Silence. And I want to talk to you about how we can silence the, the, the devil and, and those sort of things. But I'm going to be talking about repentance. Now, how many of you here would think of repentance as a positive word? Oh, a really good number of you. Okay, fair enough. I, I always thought of it as a bad word. It's like, repent. It's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. But actually, repentance is your best friend. Repentance brings you to a point of face-to-face with Christ and seeing him and bringing you back to your relationship with Christ. Uh, so I'm going to explore that this morning, how to, how to repent in a godly way and how to stop 
repenting in an ungodly way. And we'll look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 10 soon. So if you want to find that on your phone already, because it won't come up on the screen, but I will read it out. By the way, I use the New Living Translation. So if you think it sounds rather odd from your phone, uh, that's the version that I, I like to use. It reads really well in such uh, situations. So, uh, just a, a little bit, as you can hear from my accent, and, and those of you who know me, I, I wasn't born and brought up in Derbyshire. Uh, I was born in, in South London, and Leslie and I got married, and then we moved uh, at one time to Tunbridge in Kent. And we moved to a new house, beautiful big house, and we had a really nice long garden. I think it was about a 120-foot garden, and very wide garden as well. And there were, th- there were three features of our garden. One was we had this huge double gar- garage right at the back of the gar- garden that dominated the view. To be honest, it was hideous. Uh, the second thing that we had was that the people that we bought the house from, they owned rabbits. And these rabbits ran pretty well wild in our garden. And they dug holes in the, gar- in the garden, in the lawn, and then through to next door's garden. So the, the, the lawn was not exactly good for uh, practicing my golf, although putting down the rabbit holes was quite, quite good because they were very forgiving of my bad putting. The third feature of our garden was that it had a ground elder. How many of you here are gardeners? And if I said to you, your ground elder has got into your your garden, would you rejoice with that? No, I don't think so. For those like me, who were, I was ignorant of ground elder until Leslie said, this is is horrible stuff. It, it, It looks nice. It has a nice little flower. It has leaves on it. But our garden was utterly covered in ground elder. The roots were around about three or four inches deep because the people before, they hadn't done any gardening and done any weeding, and it just built up. So the only thing that grew in our garden was ground elder. And uh, we started to try and dig that up, and we broke a number of garden forks because it is a really nasty weed. It is heavy, and it is very dense in its and its roots, certainly the way it was left. And we spent years, didn't we, getting rid of it. And it also, not only was it in our garden, but it had spread to next door's garden. Uh, a very lovely couple uh, who, who were in their 80s called Mr. and Mrs. Clark. They had a beautiful garden. They had vegetables. They had many, many roses, many, many beautiful plants and well-cut lawn and everything. Their garden was beautiful and immaculate. Ours was horrible. It was a wasteland, to be honest, until we got got our hands on it anyway. But this ground elder started to get underneath the fence as well and invaded their garden as well. And so Mr. Clark said to us, would we please deal with the ground elder because it was ruining his garden as well? And ground elder is a picture for me of sin. Sin can be like that. 
And sometimes our lives can be like a wasteland because sin has got such a grip. Now, I'm going to talk about repentance. I'm going to, first of all, explain two things about this, this repentance. First of all, I'm not... Well, let me explain uh, salvation repentance, which is that when you be, first become a Christian, you stand before Christ and you say, I believe in you. Forgive me for the things that I have done wrong. And you believe that he paid the price for the things that you have done wrong. And you are then born again. You are now, when you have prayed that prayer, you are a child of God, born into his kingdom. I believe, and this church, uh, our theology is, that once you are born again, you cannot lose that. You cannot lose your salvation. Whatever you do, if I were to have a gun and shoot Pamela and murder her, I might end up in prison. In fact, I'm pretty, pretty certain I would. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Mercy killings, or maybe, no, no. No, I would end up in prison. But I would still, I would still be a child of God. Now, that may insult some of you. but I cannot lose my salvation. What I'm talking about today is when you are born again and how you then deal with sin. Now, some of the things that I, I, I noticed when I was first born again, some things that I used to do were dealt with instantly. I used to swear a huge amount. I used to use Jesus Christ as my favorite swear word. And overnight, when people said to me, Jesus Christ, and they, it felt like they were insulting my mother. I wanted to punch their teeth in. That's another matter of salvation. <laughs> you can see there was a lot of work to be done. But it was, it was reassuring for me that there are certain things that had happened straight away. Certain things. I, I found it difficult to, to lie. I could, I could tell. I, I'm a salesman, so I could sometimes have to tell people a few half-truths. When I was born again, I couldn't do that anymore. I still can't. But there were certain things in my life that made it, that stayed. I had a relationship with God. I had a very close relationship with God, and I still do. But that doesn't mean that we don't sin. It doesn't mean that we still, that we don't have to still deal with sin and the things that come in our lives. Um, this is part of the human condition. Uh, if, you, if you want to look at Romans 7, verse 18, this is how Paul describes his own feelings. Where are we? He says, so this is Paul writing to the Romans. He says, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I can't. I don't do what is, uh, sorry, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one, one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. 
I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power that makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is determined by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, if we stopped reading that passage there at the end of that chapter, it's, it's quite depressing in, in many ways. It does, it does talk about Jesus Christ, but it's like I am just miserable. That is where we are before. This is the wonderful, glorious part that comes in chapter 8. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in body to us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the, the, the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us and guide us and set us free from sin. Our relationship with God is to the Father, through Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. Um, going back to my story of, of uh, our house in, in Tombridge, we had to... We spent years digging up this matted area to stop it being a, a, a desert, really. And one of the, the ways that you deal with ground elder, if, you, if you've got it in your house and you, you want to get rid of it, is that you cover it up. And you, you put, we put carpet and some polythene over it and stones and you leave it and then it dies off. Sin is the opposite, you bring it into the light. You, you don't sort of come up the front and say, I am a dirty sinner, I've done this, that and the other. No, no, no. We're, 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 not, we're not weird like that. But what you do is you start your relationship with God. You deal with it with, with him. And if your sin is repetitive, which I'm going to talk about uh, later, then you need to share that with close confidence people you trust people you know won't go off and gossip and so oh, do you know what they said to me that's not right we're not a church i hope like that and if you are you need to repent because we are not like that but bring it into the light then you can deal with it uh, again on on the uh, in our garden uh, i think we had one or two shrubs that were there but they were they were stunted because of the 
the, the matting of this ground elder. So we had to take out the, the, these plants, clear the ground. We had to look at the roots and make sure that there were no pieces of ground elder root attached to the roots of the good plants. Because if you leave even the smallest piece of ground elder root, it will start growing again. It is awful and it grows quickly. I have a back pain to prove it. And Leslie's got fingers that are like this from rubbing around in the soil. So if there, are, if there are good things, and there are good things in our lives, we may have certain gifts, and we may say, oh, I, I can't deal with this sin because it is so, um, it's so interlinked with my gift. No, you've got to deal with sin. Take out your gift, put it to the side. Deal with sin. And then when the sin is dealt with, you can put that gift back into, into play again same with with our garden we could then plant new plants uh, eventually we we we, uh, we built a pond in the in the garden leslie did anyway i didn't do anything leslie's leslie's wherever we go in a house she marks a territory by digging a pond and it is amazing how much life comes into a pond without doing anything so we would put a few fish in. Okay, they don't fall out of the sky. But there are then newts and frogs. There is life that comes into that. And what I'm talking about today is, is you clearing out areas of your, of your life from sin through repentance so that you won't have a garden like we had in Tunbridge. Your garden is more like Mr. and Mrs. Clark's next door, which was beautiful vibrant, full of colour, full of perfume, full of fruit and full of veg as well because he used to bring it round to us. That's what I'm talking about. So don't fall for the lies of the enemy. You see, the enemy, it says in John 10.10, one of my favourite scriptures, it says, Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy and that he is a liar. This, when you see those things in your life or somebody else's life, where you were being robbed of joy, things are stolen from you, things are trying to destroy your life, you need to, to wise up and see this is probably the work of the enemy. The promise of Jesus is that he says, I have come that you may have life, and life in abundance like Mr. and Mrs. Clark's garden, a wonderful garden full of life, full of color. Now, uh, I want to, if you can turn to 2 Corinthians 7. So let me try, and I always try to give some context to these things. So, uh, 1 Corinthians was written, uh, it was Paul writing to the church in Corinth. The, the Corinthian church were a fantastically vibrant church. They were moving in the supernatural gifts, but they were neglecting the poor. They were encouraging uh, adultery. They were encouraging uh, people to 
uh, even sleep with their own family. It was a complete and utter moral mess. And Paul wrote to them and said, you know, look, you have grace. Because what they were saying, what the Corinthians were saying is, look how wonderful we are. We, we have this wonderful grace which, you know, God will forgive anything. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You stop sinning. You stop this deliberate sinning. God will forgive you, but you must stop sinning in the first place. And he corrects them. And he writes a very stern letter to them. And, he, and some of them are very upset about it. But uh, some of them also take his advice and, and repent. And then he says here in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 7. For, this, for, the, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness. Such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal and such readiness to punish wrong. You show that you have done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose then was not to write about who did wrong or who was wronged. I wrote to you that in the sight of God you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us, and we have been greatly encouraged by this. So there are two types of, of repentance, and I'm sure we've all gone through that at some time in our lives. I will call one, which is the, the worldly uh, repentance, I will call that the get-out-of-jail-free card. How many of you played Monopoly? Quite a few of you. Isn't it great when you get land on chance and you get the get out of free, out of jail free card and you put that sign and you think, okay, that's great. Uh, and then when you go around the board and you suddenly you land on the jail and you think, right, I can play that. Da -da -da. I get out. Sometimes we use our repentance in that way. I do. I have done. I try not to. I'm being honest with you. Uh, I would say one of the, the, the difficulties and struggles that I had in, in, my, in my adult life has been with handling money, not being dishonest, but just not handling it properly. And I was always using the get-out-of-jail-free card, which was, Lord, just clear up my mess and let me get back on the, on the path of doing things the way I had. And things might get cleared up, and I, but I hadn't changed the way I dealt with money. That is my example of how to use a get-out-of-jail-free card. I was just using my repentance as a way to continue doing what I was doing, but doing it wrong. 
And in the end, like the ground elder in, in our garden, it spread to next door. It spread to my family because we weren't, I wasn't handling the money correctly. And so it affected Leslie. It affected me. It affected the way our household was. I had to come to a proper place of repentance. So I had to stand before God and say, this problem is yours. Forgive me for it. I hand it to you. Forgive me because I have done these things wrong. In the past, it would have, it would have not had that element to it. It would simply have been, oh Lord, please get me out of this, which is often a, a good prayer but not a good prayer to get you out of sin. It, re- it requires repentance. It requires you to come before him and say, Lord, I have done these things wrong. I know that you can pay the price for this and have done so, and I want to change. You see, repentance, the definition of repentance is, is uh, let's say this is, this is facing God that you turn around and you face God. But then you also have a change of mindset. You change your mind that I will not be the same. I want to change. It's not just a get out of free card. The focus is on Christ. It is not on ourselves. It says in, uh, uh, I think it's in, in, in John, I think. Um, one of the, I think it's the, the, the when Jesus goes and uh, he heals the man who's been, who's paralyzed. And they say to him, uh, and, and Jesus says, get up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees say to him, how can you forgive sin unless you are God? You see, it is only God who forgives sins. He is the first one we go to to forgive, uh, to ask for forgiveness. Next thing, I, I think the, the best example is, um, is from the, the life of David. So in 2 Samuels, I'll tell you the story rather than read it because it's quicker. But uh, just to re- uh, refresh your memory, David has had many battles and he's been appointed to be king. And uh, he sends his army off to fight some wars. He should have gone with them because he was the leader. But he, he sits at home and he's looking out on the, on the terrace and he sees Bathsheba uh, bathing and he thinks she is a good-looking woman. And he goes over and he, he takes her and he has sex with her and uh, takes her to be his, his wife. He steals her from another man. He then organizes uh, Bathsheba's husband, who's called Uriah. He organizes it so that, that uh, Uriah is put at the, right at the front of the army. And there is no way that is anything going to happen to him except he is going to be killed by the enemy. And that's what happens to Uriah. He is killed. And 
David thinks nothing of it. He carries on. He's quite happy until the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, he tells him a story. And uh, he tells him a story which is parallel with what David has done. And David is really angry. Who is this person that has done this sort of thing? And Nathan says, it's you. You have organized and orchestrated the, the, the death of an innocent man. And David is undone. And I'm just going to read you one part, which is from 2 Samuel's chapter 12. As you can see, I have lots of notes in my Bible. Two Samuel chapter twelve verse thirteen. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now that's the first part. So he's done that. Notice how quick Nathan comes back with a reply. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing? Wouldn't you think Nathan would say, right, now you need to go off into the desert for 40 days and and fast? He doesn't. Because David's repentance is real. It is true. It is to God first. He doesn't say, "I, I must go and ask for forgiveness of Uriah's parents and Bathsheba. He probably should do that second. But his first instinct is to say, I have sinned against you, O God. Let's have a look at Psalm 51, which is from that that story. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but the desire, honesty, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't, let, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I think that's a a prayer for all of us. It might be in the Old Testament, but it is relevant for all of us 
living in New Testament times. You see, if you want to change as a Christian, to deal with repetitive sin, you need to come to that point of putting your, your sin before him and repenting of it. Now, it may be you think, oh, well, I've done that once. Sometimes you have to do it again and again and again. And it gradually gets the power of sin and grip over your life becomes less and less and less until one day you think, I don't have that problem anymore. I am no longer ashamed. I no longer have to look at those sort of videos or drink too much or whatever it is that is your repetitive sin. You don't have to do that anymore. But don't be uh, deceived by the work of the enemy that says, oh, you did it once and it didn't work. There's no God. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a classic lie. You need to keep doing these things at times. You need to come before him and deal with it. But not with your get out of jail card. That just leads to godly, uh, ungodly sorrow. That leads to death. When you read on in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, it, and, and it says about how wonderful... Uh, let's just read it. So it says in verse... So 2 Corinthians 7, verse uh, 13... Paul says, we have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was with the way way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I had told him how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint. I have always told you the truth, and now my boast to Titus has also proved true. How he... uh, I think I've read the wrong wrong part. But he talks about um, how loyal they have become and how greatly encouraged, how they have changed, basically. And, And this is what God is looking for. He wants us to become more and more Christ like. And that doesn't come just by being a good person. It, become, it comes from having your relationship with Christ and coming before him with your, with your sins. If you, you don't have to go hunting for them. You see, go back to the, the, the serpent and back to what Neil and, and uh, John were talking about a few weeks ago. Satan will, will tell you, oh, you've not been very good. But I would silence him straight away and say, I have dealt with this. I remember the day. I remember I put that sin before him. And he has forgiven me for that. Believe me, when you remind Satan of the work of Christ and the cross, he will flee from you. He does not like to be reminded that he is defeated. You don't have to scream. You don't have to stamp your foot. But you do need to have faith and understanding 
that you are free from that sin because God has forgiven you because Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. So, I'm going to conclude with uh, uh, 1 John 1 verse 9. John, he says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So there is a wonderful promise that God will, will, when we confess our sins, he will forgive us. Just like I showed you in that passage where David, he brought his sin to God and God forgave him quickly and he changed him. There are consequences, of course, of sin. There were, there were significant and serious consequences for David's sin. Uh, the child that was conceived at that uh, with Bathsheba on that, that first occasion, died. And David is, is distraught at that. But he then moves on in his life. Uh, there are other things that happen. So we don't, it isn't just a way of getting out of the situation. There are consequences that we had to deal with when I wasn't dealing with our money properly. We had to budget very tightly. I had to be very strong on that but we got there and I've dealt with that that passivity so I'm, I'm going to finish there I'm going to ask you if, if you would just stand I don't know if Ali's around he's at the back because I want to give this opportunity if you if you know that there are certain things in your life that are repetitive sins, things that are, put it in the picture, uh, making your garden a desert, not giving you the, the, the wonderful, full color of your life, then, I, then we will be very happy to pray for you this morning. This is an opportunity to deal with it. There will be, I'm sure, other opportunities in your groups, but deal with it today. So I'm just going to pray. Lord, I pray for your, your spirit of repentance, Lord, to come on us. Father, we want to be a people who are sanctified. We want to be changed. We want to be more like you every day, Lord. Father, I pray, come. Touch our lives. Speak to us now, Lord. Show us the things 
that we are ashamed of. And I pray, Lord God, that we will be set free from that shame as we repent, Lord. I pray that where these are things that have been hidden and are difficult, I pray people will be brave. They will be courageous to bring them into the light. And I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to forgive all our sin. Lord, and you will change us by your spirit. Make us new creations every day, Lord. May our salvation be worked out, Lord, to, be, to make us new people every day, Lord. Father, come. Glorify your Son in our lives, Lord. We want to be more like you, Lord. Come, Lord.